the meme. Chase that dream, not the meme. Chase that dream, not the meme. Welcome to Dreams Not Memes Podcast. Hello everyone, this is another episode of Dreams Not Memes. I'm here with my friend Ren. Ren is currently based in Spain, but is from Hawaii. And today we're going to talk to Ren about her story. How's it going? Not bad. How's it going over there? Doing well. Can't complain too much. It's very icy, but mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm living. Here's a little bit less icy. I actually, I don't know if you can see, but I'm wearing like a hiking jacket because I literally just got back from the mountains like literally like 15, 20 minutes ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, not 15, 20 minutes ago, but like maybe half an hour, an hour ago. Yeah. Sure, sure, mm-hmm. sure, sure. So can you tell me a little bit about what you do in Spain currently? Well, I am a university student. Um, I'm actually in the middle of a big transition. I was studying um, design for the past few years until I decided, you know what, I really like design, but maybe more as a hobby. My true passion um, and the way I feel I can leave the biggest mark in the world is through linguistics and language. So I'm switching um, to study um, Filologia Hispanica, which is like Spanish philology which is a type of um, linguistics, especially aimed at literary analysis. Gotcha, gotcha. And and how long ago have you been living in Spain coming from your transition from Hawaii? Well, um, I've been in Spain for about two years now, a little okay. under two years. Um, and before Spain, I lived for about four years in Italy. Okay. And in and out of Honolulu every every now and then. True, 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 true. Mm-hmm. And where, where were you in Honolulu? Like, um, um, so I grew up, um, I would say my hometown is Kapolei, which is on the western side of the island. And I, um, but I'm born in Honolulu. I went to high school in, um, in McKinley High School. So in the center of the town, I lived in Chinatown at this point. And um, yeah, so mostly between Honolulu and Kapolei. Gotcha, gotcha. So I could definitely see like from where where you were raised to living in Italy to now living in Spain, language and culture has definitely been a big part of your experience. Absolutely. Um, Honolulu is, and Hawaii Hawaii in general is the only US state with an Asian majority, Mm -hmm. an Asian Pacific majority to be more precise. So I've always been surrounded by so many languages and it's it's not, and it doesn't matter what social class you're from or if you're from like different neighborhoods. We don't really have super segregated neighborhoods on the island. So you'll, I grew up around Tagalog and Japanese and Mandarin and Cantonese and Ilocano and Samoan and like just surrounded by languages. And I've always been interested in in this field. True, true. And how many languages do you speak, just out of curiosity? Um, so I would say the languages in which I'm fluent in are English, naturally, um, Italian, and Spanish. All of these, these three I'm certified fluent in, I could probably get paid to translate. Um, I've studied in high school a bit of Arabic. Um, I can understand it, but I'm not really great at speaking it. And currently I'm pursuing Persian and Pashto, which is one of the main languages of Afghanistan. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> That's definitely really amazing. And if if, if history serves me correctly, mm-hmm. 
the Spanish we speak today is a combination of Latin and a lot of Middle Eastern languages. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was actually speaking with this um, to my boyfriend a few days ago about um, when I studied Arabic in high school. Um, in Spain, you don't really use usted very much. You, so usted in Spanish is the second person formal. And um, it just dawned on me, like it clicked in my head after almost two years living in Spain that usted probably comes from the Arabic word usted, which is um, a form, a way of addressing um, an academic or a teacher or basically a learned individual. So mm. it's really interesting how that word went from Arabic to Spanish because this word doesn't exist in other Romance languages. I hear you, I hear you. And I mean, I've always found language in general to be the glue that ties culture together next mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, social norms and food. Yes. So I, I definitely find that interesting. So let's learn more about your story and, and talk about culture and language on the next half of our conversation. Sounds great. Quick message. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Dreams.Memes. Please make sure to follow Dreams.Memes Podcast on your preferred streaming channel or on Instagram at Dreams.Memes Podcast. To support Dreams.Memes Podcast, feel free to contact me at daywithoutlove at gmail.com for advertising or sponsorship opportunities. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, now we're back. So can you tell me what are some of your future goals like moving forward after you get your degree? Um, I have several, because I'm going through a really big transition, I do have two things that I, two or three things that I would really like to work on. One of them is I love the idea of teaching English as a second language or Spanish as a second language to new immigrants or refugees. Mm -hmm. um, one of the reasons why I'm learning Persian and Pashto is, um, and eventually I'd like to touch up on Urdu as well, is because I learned that there are very few um, foreign language, like professional translators and interpreters in Spain for South Asian and Middle Eastern languages, even though there are a ton of Arabs here, a ton of Pakistanis here, a ton of Persians here. Um, which means that basically if they want to communicate in a medical setting, for example, for medical interpreters, there are, there's no one that can help them unless they're able to speak English or Spanish, which naturally would be quite problematic. Um, another thing I'm really interested in is um, I'm really interested in minority languages. I'm from mm -hmm. Hawaii. Um, the native language is Hawaiian. Um, one of my dreams especially considering I have a design background, is to work on an app that would be able to help teach minority language to adults. Because there are schools that exist for children to be immersed in the language. But once you're older than high, like high school age, older than 18, it's more or less 
you know, it's really difficult to come across resources in languages like Hawaiian or Chamorro, in, mm. in like which is my mother's native language. True, true. And and speaking of like minority languages, what do you think can be done to preserve the culture of language? And what I mean by that is like around the world, there are languages that have died or are dying. What do you oh. think educators and, and other students and practitioners of language can do to keep it alive? I, um, well, I do feel like in the United States, especially, it's kind of handled all wrong. Um, mm. I, here in Spain, you have a really interesting linguistic situation. Um, I currently live in the Basque country, which um, has a native language, Basque, which is completely separate, completely distinct from Spanish and from every other Indo-European language period. It's, it has no known language relatives. It's completely isolated. Um, one thing that, but then you hear Basque in the streets, you see signs, there are TV shows, you can watch the news in Basque. And that's honestly the way I think it needs to be done. There needs to be more visibility and there needs to be more of a push to get these languages in the forefront. Um, so Basque is officially a language in the Basque country and in this um, other in the Mediterranean coast, you have Catalan in Catalonia. Um, in Northwest Spain, you also have Galicia. So here in the Basque country, it's an official language. So it has equal presence in official activities as Spanish. Um, you can have, you know, children are educated in Basque and Spanish. And because of that, there's some level of, there's a lot more level of respect for the language. It's not considered a niche thing to know Basque. Mm -hmm. It's versus like in Hawaiian, like it's very unusual to find someone who speaks Hawaiian with confidence and fluency. True, true. Yeah. And like culturally, like in Hawaii, if someone finds out you speak Hawaiian, do people look at you like weird? Because like, I know in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. there's a lot of different dialects. And I mean, I know dialects are different than, than a, an entire language. But like, for example, we have this word called John, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone in Philadelphia used John. And John is just a noun. It means person, place, or thing. Like, mm -hmm. you know, when we're done this conversation, someone can ask me, hey, how was your podcast, John? And then people are like, oh, it was great. We had a great conversation about language, right? Mm -hmm. um, but there's certain words that are phonetically said that like communicate something about your class or where you're from. So mm -hmm. a lot of people say bathroom, but if you say bathroom, the assumption is you're from the north part of Philadelphia. So mm -hmm. like in Hawaii, when someone finds out that you speak Hawaiian or native Hawaiian or, or any other language, is there any sort of implicit bias about your class or your identity or anything like that? Well, um, in Hawaii, we have the Hawaiian language and mm -hmm. we have something that's quite similar to John, um, mm -hmm. which is pidgin. It's a pidgin mm -hmm. language. And it's kind of similar to Jamaican Creole in okay. the sense that it's officially, like from a linguistic point of view, it's considered a separate language. But because it's a Creole language based off of English, for most people, especially from the mainland US, or people who don't have an education in linguistics, it just sounds like bad English. Most people just assume it's uneducated, um, lower class English. And in the case of Pidgin, 
um, it's absolutely perceived. There's a, there's a social class element to that. There's um, there's an assumption about your intelligence. There are assumptions about where you are from on the island, um, based off of you whether or not you speak it. Mm-hmm. And it's also seen as a bit of a joke. I remember um, about when as a child I came across as a um, I came across a Bible that was translated into the pidgin language. And it turns out it was actually a very sincere translation. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted to reach out to um, working class or um, rural people from Hawaii because not only like native Hawaiians speak pidgin, it's, it's, it's kind of everyone. And I remember opening it up and showing it to my mother and she just interpreted it as like a joke she thought it was a joke and she was really offended that somebody would make a joke bible but because it's it's seen as something almost comedic it's not something that is like to be taken seriously in hawaii um the in this case of hawaiian language i would say that if for example if someone came up to like most people and they said they spoke fluent hawaiian I feel like most people would be impressed, but they would view it almost as a novelty. Mm. Does that make sense? Like it's yep. not a useful language. They're learning it because of their culture or for novel reasons. They wouldn't sure. perceive it like something like learning German or Japanese. True. Where you can yeah. make um you could make money off of it because in like maybe they'll be like, oh, they only speak Hawaiian because they work in the tourist industry and it's impressive like that. Or they're just learning it for their culture, but they wouldn't see it as like a serious pursuit, if that makes sure. any sense. No, 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 it does. And, and it kind of just speaks to like the capitalism of America or consumerism of America, meaning that like you can't learn something for the pursuit of knowledge. It always has to be for the pursuit of money. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's something that um, you see a lot in language learning or linguistic circles. A lot of, I mean, people who are really into linguistics like to learn languages because they just like them, you know? Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of people who don't see the point in learning a language just because you want to be able to communicate or just because you want to be able to understand what's being said. Um, they just say like, oh, I want to learn Chinese because I want to do business with China. True. Or I want to learn Spanish because I live in Southern California and I want to be you know, able to market to the Latino market or something like that. True, no, no, you're completely right. And, and you mentioned that America is doing it wrong. What are the, some of the things that America is doing wrong regarding language and what, what can be changed? Um, I, for example, another language that I pursued in high school was um, French. And I live about an hour away from the French border and I can't say anything in French. Um, I believe there isn't a lot of immersion um, in American language, edu- foreign language education um it's it's just taught very differently they it's taught really slow Mm. basically um like if you look on language difficulties um charts or i i believe the u.s government this um the department of foreign affairs basically had a list of languages 
um, as Foreign Service Institute, if I'm not mistaken, um, and basically how long it should take to learn foreign languages if you take it very seriously. And for example, a language like Spanish or French or, um, yeah, or Danish. Um, I believe it's 600 working hours of learning um, one of these languages. These are considered the easiest languages. And in theory, if you are taking an intensive course, you should be able to speak these languages within six months. Quite frankly, you know, as someone who's from the United States, I've never met anybody who has taken Spanish for even all four years of high school and is confident in speaking Spanish. And I think that goes to, yeah, it's very common. <laughs> it's very common. Uh, I have a friend who moved to Spain and she um, started learning Spanish in middle school, you know? And, you know, so she's had six years of formal American education in Spanish. And when she moved here, she didn't feel confident speaking at all. And um, I remember one time we went to go order a coffee and the barista, the Spanish barista literally thought she was speaking German. Wow. because her like pronunciation was so off. Um, she was so nervous about speaking. Sure. Um, and I feel like that's very common here. I meet a lot of, um, there's something called auxiliar de conversación where American or Canadian, or basically uh, students from young people from Anglo um, phone countries move to Spain to help teach English. And I almost, the only person I've ever met who spoke Spanish well had Mexican parents, mm. even if they've taken Spanish throughout their entire university career. True. Yeah. True. That, that, that's very real. Cause I mean, like granted, except for the last year of Spanish where I got a B, I got A's in all of my Spanish classes. And I mean, granted I'm 32, you're talking about freshman year of high school all the way up to senior year of college, right? So it's mm -hmm. eight years of consistent training in Spanish. And if I were to go to any Spanish speaking country, I'd, I'd just be like, well, I know the basics. I know where like, donde esta el baño, you know? And I'm not even sure if I conjugated that right. You, um, you, you said it fine. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I, I just know like the survival basics. And like, I could pick up, I, I understand it more than I speak it. Mm -hmm. so I, I think if like I was on a survival mission, I'd eventually start picking it up. But I'm not the average person. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think most people would just they they'd sink in the water and they wouldn't know what to do. You know? Yeah, and it's really common to find like groups of American expats here, and especially in bigger cities like Madrid and Barcelona, where like they just kind of group amongst themselves. And to be fair, I don't want to like roast them or anything. It's very normal for people from the same country to find each other when they live abroad mm -hmm. and want to hang out with each other. I don't want to make it seem like that's inherently wrong, but it's going to limit your improvement in your Spanish. I completely agree. Yeah, I like mean, there's nothing wrong with wanting to find your compatriots, however. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Cause like, even when I'm on the road, I I can't help but see some people look for Philly when they're out in like St. Louis, mm -hmm. but it's like, you're in St. Louis, like you have to immerse yourself in St. Louis. And I mean, granted, that's like an inner domestic issue. The same thing applies when you're outside of a, a different location. Like mm -hmm. you can't look for the same thing you're used to when you're 
Yeah, but like there's it's it's really interesting. I don't want to criti- critique people from that, but like, but they wouldn't feel so strongly about finding their people. I feel like if they felt more confident in their Spanish, because I do feel a lot of the Americans who do move to Spain um, really do want to integrate. I don't feel that they want to live in a bubble. I don't like. I feel like they want to have a genuine experience. But because of the way Americans learn Spanish, um, I mean, you've had eight years of education, you know, like they don't feel confident speaking to people on the like in in regular social settings, and they feel shy. And you know, I have a certificate that says I'm fluent in Spanish, but even sometimes, like in a party setting, I do feel a little bit shy. So imagine true. if somebody feels less confident than I do. True, true. And what are some ways do you think people can start to feel more confident about language? I know for me, I wish I had less intimidating programming around Spanish, meaning that like when you had to speak, it wasn't kind of like a, you either succeed or fail. And then the language was like so short. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish like learning Spanish was more integrated as opposed to like learning words I wouldn't use anyways. I learned words in Spanish that I would use, you know. So what are some ways do you think that could be changed so that? Well, um, I'm, I don't know if you've interviewed any like professional educators, but I feel like American, the American education system is really focused on test scores, mm. you know, like there are and benchmarks there are a lot of exams there are a lot of benchmarks and i don't think that necessarily makes sense in foreign language education of course there needs to be some sort of testing to be able to gauge levels but i think foreign language education in the united states needs to be more forgiving of mistakes because one unless you're able to be in a situation like myself where you can be completely immersed it's really hard to get fluent and that's okay Secondly, um, I know we hear a lot, especially in the States, we hear a lot about like people making fun of gringo accents or, um, you know, like you always hear about the horror story of somebody trying to speak French in Paris or something like that. But in my experience, that's almost never the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I first came to Spain, um, like on holiday and, you know, usually I'm physically read as Latina. Um, but I don't, I didn't speak any Spanish whatsoever. Um, I could say, hola, como estas? Yo, yo quiero Taco Bell, stuff like this. But like, (laughs) um, I remember people would, like, when I would try to speak with people, they would be confused about how difficult it was for me to speak, but not because, like, I'm foreign. It's because like, they just read me as Latina. They're like, Mm. so they're like, why can't you speak Spanish? But the moment I would say, oh, so estadounidense, they'd be like, oh, okay, you know? And then they would be a lot more patient with me. And that's one thing I think a lot of people in the US need to understand when it comes to learning foreign language is that people know you're foreign and people know you're trying and you're going to have an accent. No one cares. Like, no one's like very, like, no one's gonna like, make fun of you in a hostile way maybe maybe they'll tease and it'll be like a cutesy like oh look at (laughs) that's cute but in the same way that when 
like unless somebody's like actively racist or something like when in the states when we hear somebody speaking english with a japanese accent for example like very few people are going to be like oh look at that guy you know they're going to be like oh like cute accent True. they're not going to like be hostile to him and they're going to see that he's making an effort to speak english that's fine so and i i feel like a lot of americans and american language educators need to acknowledge this and be like you will probably never have a native accent that's okay no one in these countries cares either i like that you said that because like in america i'm going to say it's probably like a solid like five to ten percent of people and those people are, are bigots yeah really are like without lack of a better word, they're, they're assholes about people with accents, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like, there's going to be someone who's going to yeah. be a jerk about it. Yeah. And I'm going to be completely transparent. That exists everywhere, okay? Yeah. Like, that exists here, that exists in Italy, that exists in Japan, exists everywhere. There's always going to be somebody who's going to look at you like you're an idiot because of that. But to be completely frank, these people are assholes, period. True. So like, and they're percentage-wise quite small. Yeah. So they're going to give you a break. And even then, um, at least in the case in, uh, in Europe, you know, um, at least in Spain and Italy, um, both are countries that honestly, there aren't that many English speakers here either. Um, being from an Anglophone country like the United States, Britain, Canada, um, it does carry a certain level of privilege. There are like a lot of these bigots who tend to be right-wing nationalists aren't going to respond to an American accent in Spanish quite the same way that they would respond to a Chinese accent in Spanish or an Ecuadorian, like an Ecuadorian accent in Spanish. True. Does that make sense? Yes, completely. And um, yeah, there is a sort of racial and class element in their bigotry. Um, in the same way you see in the United States, a lot of these super bigoted racist types will find a French accent charming. But if someone has a Chinese accent then or an Arabic accent, then all bets are off. That's so true, because I've, I've always thought to myself, like, the way that we, and by we, I mean people in the States, perceive accents and how we objectify and sexualize them. Yeah. While it's considered a social norm, there's a lot of bigotry rooted in it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, like, I know I've, I've had, like, French people in my class in elementary school, they were uh -huh. like studying abroad. Yes, believe it or not, my, my Catholic school allowed study abroad in elementary <laughs> school. And that those kids ended up becoming the coolest people and they didn't even say a word. They were Absolutely. just, like they were normal kids, but like people treated them like they were like amazing. Oh my God, they said hello, you know? And it's, it's, it's bad. Yeah, there's no reason why a French accent should be perceived as more romantic or mm -hmm. cultured than an Arabic accent. True. Sincerely. True. But, yeah. like, I mean, that's it is what it is. Like, having a Giri accent in Spain, like, people will kind of, like, maybe they'll tease it. Maybe they'll laugh at it. But, it like, 
the people who are going to be straight up assholes about accents or bad Spanish um, would honest like say quite similar things to Spanish from Latin America. Um, I remember one time I was at a bar, you know, back in the olden days of freedom. (laughs) And um, there was this guy and he just wanted to talk to me. And he says, but you speak such correct Spanish. You know, you speak Spanish well. But he said, it's interesting because most Americans don't learn correct Spanish, which is really coded language for Spain Spanish. Mm. And... um, it just was really funny to me, like, because, like, countries like Mexico have, like, four times the population of Spain, you know, like, maybe sure. that's a more standard or more universally understood accent of Spanish. And in certain ways, there are certain aspects of Latin American Spanish, the many dialects of Latin American Spanish that are more conservative than the Spain Spanish. True, and you're referring to uh, second person plural when it comes to conjugating verbs? Yeah, I like remember certain, learning that. Certain verb conjugation, certain ways of pronouncing things. And a lot of the things that are um, stereotypically associated with Latin America and especially people of color um, come from Spain. Mm-hmm. Like um, when we think about Caribbean accents, about Puerto Rico, Cuba, and the Dominican Republic, um, you know, things that they do that are incorrect, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. or like that people might judge them for speaking with like not correct Spanish actually come from Spain. Gotcha. Um, The finishing, um, you know, an aspirated S at the end of words or replacing L with R or vice versa. Um, these all come from Southern Spain. Gotcha. And like, when you read more about language history, it's, it's really interesting that a lot of these things that are correct or incorrect are really arbitrary. Um, no, the, no, the, the, you're right, you're right. Or yeah. um, for example, another thing in English is, um, I, I remember watching this really interesting YouTube video. I can't remember that to top of my head, but it basically said that a lot of, um, like the term like ain't got no, or the double negative in English, mm-hmm. which is really in the United States associated with AVE, African-American vernacular English mm-hmm. or Ebonics, which is the outdated term for it, um, would have been a standard in English had London been in the north of England. But it's like, it's something that exists, has always existed in the north of England. And we associate it with black Americans and incorrect English. But like, it's literally just a matter of circumstance. That's that that very much tracks just from my own personal experience. Like I've had in business, like when I used to work in the finance industry, mm-hmm. I've had black business partners that lived in you know different parts of the UK and I noticed that their dialect felt like the 90s yeah yeah so no you're, you're right that that, that 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 tracks that tracks a lot I'd like to ask you about 
your background culture, because if mm -hmm. I remember correctly, you said that, you know, your dad's black and your mother's Micronesian. Mm -hmm. And what is that like growing up and then eventually in your life being perceived as Latin? Because like, you know, I'm, I'm African-American, Native American and Irish. Mm -hmm. And there's been parts of my life, uh, usually when I'm in a Latin concentrated city where people think I'm like Dominican or Afro-Cuban and I'm just like, okay, you know, no, 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 not like, you know, like. So. Yeah, that happens to me whenever I'm on the East Coast as well. When I, Like I've yeah. been to Philly a few times and True. I've I've been to New York like a billion times. True. And it's like, sometimes people don't even ask me like, where are you from? Like, they'll just yeah. be like, are you from Santiago or Santo Domingo? And I'm like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so it happens. What, what, what was that like for you? Like, and when did that start happening? Um, so growing up in Hawaii, um, I feel like I was always perceived like just black. Um, and I've always just kind of taken that in stride. Like I tell people, yes, I am half Micronesian. I was raised by a single mother of Pacific Island descent in the Pacific, in, an, in a place with a 1% Black population. Like, the only Black people in Hawaii were military at the time. So if I lived in a really Asian area, Asian Pacific area, I always felt like I was perceived as Black. I didn't really think anything of that until um, when I was about a teenager. So I would say 12, 13 years old. Um, my dad got custody of my sister and I, and we moved to the suburbs of Atlanta. And that was the first time where I felt like my blackness wasn't as clear cut as it was in Hawaii. Were you in um, Lafayette? Um, I was actually in Peachtree City. Oh yeah, I know where that is. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it's a really suburby part of um, it's it's kind of a gated community. It's a little bougie yeah, area. It is. It is. <laughs> but like it's still Atlanta metro area. Yeah. You know? And um I remember um one time, like when I like explain the situation to people, it always makes the South seem bizarre. And to be frank, like from my background, the South is bizarre. Like no offense to any Southerners listening to this. But I remember like what, as a teenager, there was like this one day where um, like the teacher had to take the ethnic demographics of the class for some reason. And like she said it like, okay, so like I can pretty much see anyone who's like white and black. Is there anyone here who's like neither? And then this dude pointed at me and said, raise your hand, Hawaii. Wow. And he wasn't necessarily being like hostile or anything. He just said, raise your hand, Hawaii. And I was just like, oh, I guess, yeah. But like, I always just considered myself black. True. And like, like maybe light skinned, but like not, not black. True. <laughs> or not like mixed race. True. So it was just like this weird thing where it's just like, oh yeah, like I guess he's right. Like I am mixed race, but like it just felt bizarre to me. Wow. That 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 is bizarre. Cause like 
I mean, I, I never got that because most people don't know that I'm not just African-American just because mm-hmm. I'm a little darker, but like I'm, I'm like in, in between, but I could still, wow, just wow, no words. So yeah, it's just bizarre. <laughs> yeah. M- moving forward to your life in Spain, what has it been like politically as well as culturally? Well, my politics I'm on this podcast. I think my politics are hard left, but yeah. most <laughs> um, people are that are yeah. guests here. <laughs> um, let's see. And I, I say that even with like, I feel like a lot of left leaning. Okay. So a lot of Americans, and I would say less activist types in the United States kind of per- perceive the end of the political divide or the political spectrum ending at Bernie Sanders True. when that's really not even that far left politically. And I think, um, you know, people just view like Democrat is basically communist. Republican is basically fascist when really that's not the case at all. Um, I would say I'm like me personally, I'm left even by European standards. Um, but, um, in Spain, I've had a lot of an easier time finding people who I kind of have a similar, like, notion to. I don't have, like, anything too defined in my head of where I stand, but I've had a lot of people, I've been able to meet a lot of people who I vibe with, if that makes sense. A lot easier of a time than when I lived in Italy for four years, which is, I'm going to be super, fr- like, super honest, Italy's racist as shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, um, like, yeah, I've been able to, I've, when it comes to like politics, however, you find everything here. You find out there are fascists here. I'm going to be super transparent. And a lot of them are very vocal and a lot of them are very honest about the fact that they are fascists. And then on the other end of the scale, you have like straight up anarchists, you have straight up tanky communists. Um, You have a lot of these, um, like you have Pepe, which is basically like Republicans here. Um, So yeah, you have a really broad, Spain has a really broad political spectrum. True. You have Catalan separatists, which can be right wing or left wing. You have Basque separatists, which the same. There's a little bit of everything. True. And, and is living in like the Basque area, like, is the Basque treated as like a territory, a state, its own little bubble of Spain? I like that you said that, like the idea of like the Basque country being a little bubble in Spain. I think it's interesting because economically compared to the rest of Spain the Basque country is kicking ass Mm. like it's it's a lot richer here um than other parts of Spain um there are a lot of people from the south of Spain looking for jobs up here you never see a Basque person going to Murcia to find a job true like that's 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 weird um Let's see. People here tend to be quite active politically, regardless of their orientation. You see a lot of um, manifestations. You see a lot of protests. You see a lot of marches. Um, 
people are very vocal about it. Um, the Basque country has a really complicated history, especially when it comes to the separatist movement um, with language during, um, with cultural identity during the Franco era, a lot of elements of Basque culture were like illegal or for, mm. or really discouraged. So there's a really big culture of like reclamation that I really respect, especially coming from Hawaii and being part Chamorro. Um, these are things that I, that, you know, that resonate with me. Sure, sure, mm -hmm. sure. And, you know, what is it about language that could unite people more? Because I think in our conversation, we've talked a lot about how stigmas around language and culture have separated people. What is it about someone in your profession or your field can do the opposite and that's bring people together? Okay, so basically, I don't think that you can truly understand someone on, like unless you're able to think like that person, think about how they would form words in their head. Think about, and like a lot of, and that sounds really simple because like, why can't I just think of the translated words in their head? But I do think that it can, it helps people empathize more, if mm. that makes sense. It makes people seem more human because the words they're saying are no longer just noises. They're no longer just sounds. They're like concrete words that you can understand. True. And um, yeah, like I remember the first time I went back to the United States um, after learning Spanish, which is about a year and a half ago. I haven't been able to go back for obvious reasons. But um, obviously, you know, I'm going to treat everyone like a human being, you know, like everyone deserves dignity. But it's different when, like, I was at, like, my hotel in San Francisco, and the um, house cleaning ladies were, were Mexican. And it was a different experience. I could understand the, the lyrics of the songs they were playing. I could understand the conversation. And it just, I don't know, like, it drove the point home even more how human they were and how relatable they were. Because once you learn another language, you really understand that everyone talks about the same bullshit. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like sometimes I'll be back in the States and um, you'll hear about people feeling uncomfortable going to a Vietnamese nail salon, for example, because, oh, what if the girls are talking about me? Or like, they think that there's something like sinister or sneaky or gossipy like no one is talking about you like when you learn Spanish you learn or any other language you learn that everyone's talking about the same bullshit everyone just wants to get done with work pay their rent make sure their son's not getting into trouble at school um making sure that their you know like husband cleans the kitchen like he says he's gonna do like things like that everyone's just talking about the same thing and it adds an element to human of humanity because you can understand them more does that make sense 
It makes complete sense because, like, uh, I go to a Spanish-speaking barbershop, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing. They're talking about their children, what's going on with sports, like, basic shit, you know? And I, I, I truly believe when we can destigmatize the things we fear, mm-hmm. we can start to unify because I, I definitely think when someone doesn't understand a language, a lot of other unnecessary biases occur, which mm-hmm. then creates a lot of the conflict that occurs today from racism to socioeconomic divisions and things like that. Mm-hmm. And we're able to speak with the belief that we can understand each other and humanize each other as opposed to divide each other. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be in a better place for global harmony. That's at least yeah. my yeah, like, I feel like if you look, if you're able to look at other people's languages, like, not like a code, you know, like, mm-hmm. it's just talking, then it helps you empathize with them more. Certainly, certainly. Um, like, I remember when I was in high school, when I was still actively studying Arabic, and I actually used to speak Arabic quite well now, no way. True. But, um when I was in high school, it was kind of at the height of the Iraq war, the second Iraq war in the 2000s, you know, right before Obama became president. And I remember I was getting on a plane and I was with my mother and she doesn't speak any Arabic. And she's, you know, there was, she's old. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I remember there was a time when there was uh, a group of Arab guys. They looked like university st- students, I guess. I think they were from Saudi Arabia, like from their accent. And um, one of the guys was on the phone speaking Arabic. And my mom was a little bit nervous about that. Oh, there's a group of young Arab men and they're going on a plane. Terrorism time, you know? Oh, no. And I just remember listening to the conversation and I was just like, yo, mom. and my mom knew I could speak Arabic at the time. And I was just like, mom, like, this guy's on the phone with his mom. And he's having the exact same conversation I would have with you if I was on the plane. Yeah, I made it fine. No, there was no problem. Uh, the flight is like four hours. Yeah, yeah. Okay, whatever. Yeah. You know, like, very, very basic exactly the type of conversation a 22 year old guy would have with his mom before boarding a plane. The most mundane, normal conversation. And just me being able to understand him, like made him feel different. (laughs) He was just a guy who cares. And like, exactly. Like if you're, it, 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 I found him relatable because that's exactly what I would say to my mom. True. And your story eliminates his stereotype threat, which is like his perceived awareness of people being threatened by him. And it humanizes him because people think the complete opposite because of 9-11, you know what I mean? Yeah. And we have to remove that. Yeah, like I'm sure my mom wasn't the only person thinking that way about him. True, true, true. I I completely get that. I mean, as a minority, I mean... I remember in high school, I used to dress very, quote unquote, urban. I hate mm-hmm. using that word, but I'm just using it for context. And kids didn't understand how the way I dressed and the fact that I was from inner city Philly 
but I was in all honors classes. They were like, that doesn't make sense. How can you be both, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, I think sometimes we use chunks of information to determine certain thoughts about people based on the language or what they wear or how they look. But if we take the time to just stop and listen, the person might be a lot more relatable than we think. Absolutely. Yeah. Like very few people are like weirdos or like hostile or anything like that. Most people are pretty normal people and for better or for worse. I completely agree. Yeah. This has definitely been a good episode of Dreams Not Memes, and thank you for your time. Thank you. Anytime. Hi, this is Brian from A Day Without Love. Thank you for listening to Dreams Not Memes. I just want you to remember, your dreams matter. If you'd like to support this podcast, email at daywithoutlove at gmail.com for donation information, or follow me for weekly episodes. Thank you for listening and joining my journey. Have a good day.